0: Welcome, 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 a notable welcome to all you
1: music lovers,
2: to something, that, what I like to call, journey. journey, to the stage, it's all about, the
1: artist, their music, and their journey. journey,
2: ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back, your host, your host, and our dad, Brian, Fraser,
0: Fraser. shall we begin, Brian,
2: yes, we shall begin. Welcome to Journey to the Stage with Brian Frazier. I'm glad you've tuned in and hope wherever you're listening, you're doing well and having a great day. One of the great things that music does is it gives us a little break from what's going on in the world around us or maybe in our own heads. From a very early age, music has been a good friend and a needed escape for me. I'm sure many of you listening can kind of relate to that. Where would we be without music? So this podcast is about chatting with a few different types of artists, legends like Carol Kay, well-known artists like Glenn Phillips from Toad the Wet Sprocket, which is still one of my favorite episodes, but also indie artists that maybe much of my audience might not know. And some could ask, well, why not focus on artists who are more broadly known and they bring more listeners? The answer is that indie artists are making some of the best music out there today. Radio is dead and there are about 8 trillion artists on streaming services. And while it's definitely easier to make music today, it's harder to get heard. So I look for indie artists that to my ear are making great music. And I shine what little spotlight I've been interested with on them. So my hope is that you'll take a look through the artists that I've had on. Check out their work. Bands like Blue Water Highway, artists like Flores Door scarlet goodbye many many others and what you're going to find even if you don't listen to those episodes but check out the artists you're going to find groups and people that make great music that's deeply melodic smart and beautifully made all right we have some great conversation with carol Kay yet ahead of us and i hope you've listened to part one if you haven't just look for that episode and start there if you'd like so you can get the full scope of our conversation We're going to jump back into our chat with me asking Carol about how she became involved with Motown. How
0: did you get started with Motown? Because, you know, people think of that and they might not think of a young white woman as the bass player for many of those songs, but that was you on so many. How did you get tied in with Motown?
1: I was doing a lot of dates on guitar, and 63, I, I was still playing guitar, but I started bass at, in 63, and it made such a splash about the fact that I could make up lines on bass in 63. By 64, I was the number one call on bass in Hollywood. So yeah, so it, at, at first, the first couple of dates I did for Motown was because Jesse Sales, the drummer. Jesse Sales used to come out to hear us play jazz, you know, and he's a jazz drummer himself, you know, so he came out to hear Billy Higgins, then he heard me play jazz, and we got to talking and everything, and I'd bring my kids down down to his house in South L.A. for the barbecue and, and things like that, and, and, and nice. Jan says, my kids, I'd bring my kids, they loved it, you know, because of music and musicians and food and all that stuff, you know, and... Uh, Jesse admired the way that I played guitar, and so he got me in with Motown. I did Motown dates, but two of them on guitar, and then, then the rest was bass, you know. So that, that's how that got started, you know. And it's like everything else, they kept it all quiet about who who, who, of course. who, who did the play. They kept <laughs> yeah. it all quiet. And and with the down sound, you know, I, I didn't know how bad it was, but I found out later about the Olympics, you know, because – they were playing down there, and one of the singers had gotten killed down down south, you know, and so it oh, was pretty bad down there at, yeah. uh, at that time, see. So, yeah, so we, we all knew why they had to keep me a secret, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, there are some songs that that were great from the beginning. We talked about Good Vibration already, and that bass work, just I think, even made a great song even greater. But there were some songs that you played on where the song maybe just was okay, but your bass work elevated it. So I think about like the beat goes on. I mean, really, some people say you saved that song.
1: You know, if you were in the studio with us, now, Sonny Bono, I've knew him since Keen Records with Bumps Blackwell and Herb Albert. Herb Albert hasn't even had a first hit, yeah, he was at Keen Records and Fred Smith was My Baby Loves Western Movies When oh, yeah. I'm playing guitar on that too, by the way I did guitar with, with the Olympic stuff, I don't think I ever did bass with them, anyway, so <laughs> yeah we had some, a lot of big hits uh, with the groups like that The OJs Uh, the, the Isley brothers, I did one or two hits with them, big ones too, big hits. And it was guitar, but anyway, that's where Sonny Bono got his start too, was, was, with Keen Records back in the late 50s. So it wasn't so strange to, to work for him. And he was of a fine producer than, than people know, because he, he knew what he was doing there. And he, he knew he couldn't sing, you know. He'd come out and here's this tune. Uh and we're doing uh, bum ba-dum, bum 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 and the beat goes on dum dum and the beat goes on <laughs> dum 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 It was dumb, you know, and so yeah. we're all trying to scramble trying to find a line that would make a pick up or something, you know. Yeah. And so about the third bass line that I came up with was bum 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 bum. bum. And it just fit that song, it just nice. swung man, yeah, and so it was a big hit, and that's the theme of their t v show too, so it it just it just hit you know, but that's what you're getting paid to do. you're studio musicians, you're paid to come up with lines, you know, and they said that about Glenn Campbell's Wichita Lineman, too, you know you know you're you're coming up with lines, you're just looking at the chord chart, and make sure you're playing the right chords, you know but uh, and then and then we we cut the track for that. It was fun. It was really a great song and the Wake Lynn song and everything. And he borrowed my my Danil to play his uh, solo on. But but Al DeLore was saying we need an intro on that. Can you g- give me a bar into that so I cut that and brought the, the, the tune in. But you yeah. know what? <laughs> People would say, oh, that was brilliant. I said, no, it wasn't. I kept thinking I'm going to the chord of B flat, so I start on B flat. And I caught myself at the last minute. I said, "Oh my God, it's going to F." F, you know. And they all thought it was brilliant. I said, "No, it was a mistake, <laughs> but it turned out okay." You
0: know? Wow. So
1: and, so the, those things happen, you know. That you had quick reflexes and you're going to save yourself at the last minute. So that's that, that's what that's what it is. Being a studio musician, too, you don't want to make a mistake on the record. You know?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> it's and it's. So, it's so interesting because Glenn was part of that oh. great group of music. He was an incredible player. And here he, he is. Sure he said, was. you know, he, he, he disappeared nice guy, for a couple too. of years from the studio with uh-huh. you guys. And now he comes back and now he's an artist and he knows what he, he's, he's doing. Surprised. So he pulls yeah. he pulls you guys in to play. And so there is there's that you know, that scene in the studio where he, where you lay that doo 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 doo. And then, because if the strings started cold, it could have worked. But that little bass lead in that you did really sets the song off.
1: Yeah. The string, I mean, the strings were, were overdubbed. And the drummer on that, Jim Gordon, did did a good job on that record, too. So, you know, it, it was such a good song in the way that he's singing. But the strings were added on later, see? So, yeah.
0: Oh, right, right, right.
1: Yeah. So well, that, that's what happened there, yeah.
0: You know, this is just my opinion, but if somebody, and I've said before, uh, if somebody were to ask me, what is the greatest song ever recorded? I would say Wichita Lineman. It's just, oh, obviously, wow. it's just my opinion, yeah. just my opinion. Obviously, it's such so, it's pretty, so yeah. brilliantly, brilliantly written. And, you know, you add... Uh, That's right, it's a great song and the, And I think you know your your work U Gwen sings it, and El DeLore, you know he did that that string arrangement on it, and uh-huh, it just uh-huh. really was just the icing on the cake it it really is such a it 's a perfect song in my mind.
1: they were doing that in those years. they would have a rhythm section, create a lot of the lines of the of the song, and then they 'd use some of those lines to to embellish. It later on, because the, the strings were not pre written. They were written after I invented my bass line, see? So he, he, he picked up some of the ba 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 Yes. That was what I invented, but he used it as a string line. Quincy Jones did that for the Hickey Bird thing. Yeah. I get this blank piece of paper. I said, well, what do you want me to play? I said, Quincy, (laughs) just just play something. I said, okay. (laughs) Play something. And so I I invented the whole thing, and he took the transcription of what I played back east, had the horns play the same lines that I did in spots, and it really blew it up. I said, whoa, that's amazing (laughs) the way that he could do that, you know. Yeah, so, because it it, it sounds like it's arranged, and it wasn't. He just let let me go and do my thing, you know. And so that's how important the baseline was to those hit records back. And they knew it was important to film calls, too, you know. So I had a lot of... Free ad ad-lib parts there that that I could do, you know. So you had to be able to not only read the music, but to invent, too. And that's when I started teaching. I I thought, you know, it's funny that people don't get the idea about the soloing in jazz that you can put it on the bass lines and invent a lot of good stuff. I taught most of the string bass players in town because they had to play the center bass then, you know. The the, the, the film calls demanded sometimes... With cues, yet played standard days, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I didn't care anyway, you know, I said, I'm gonna quit anyway. Here, you, you learn a what I can teach you with these kind of lines, you know, and so they they learned the lines. They would have hit hit records then, too. It was fun, wow. you know, because I I wanted to go back to playing jazz again. I was, I missed it so much that I went back to play jazz on bass and with Joe Pass and then with Anthropon, you know, and that yeah. was fun to me because I had written my bass books and so I had a, a backup plan anyway, you know, so I could. Quit doing most of the studio work and just go out and play some jazz. And, and so yeah. that, that's what happened. But I, I could teach everybody in town. And I've been teaching since 1949, so it's not like it's hard for me to teach. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you have fun with it, too. You you have so much fun passing along what you know and you've seen other people – have that same love of playing music and that that makes you feel good you know and we we need that today we need the musicians out there playing because boy without music this world is not functioning very well you know <laughs> i
0: agree and you know just one real quick a note just back on wichita line I and mean, we can't leave out jimmy webb of course it starts with wonderful compositions. oh so i don't you want to forget that, that jimmy
1: webb played piano on that date too that's jimmy on piano on that i've been at the baseline except for about three notes you know there's about three notes you carol t- try this in this spot I thought, oh okay yeah that works great thank you you know, so, yeah, he he had his, he had his input for bass lines, yeah. He's a very, very nice man, very nice man, both so talented, wow.
0: Brilliant writer, one of, one of the best, truly. Mm-hmm. So there are, That's I have right. a few names I, I want to just get your your take on them, bands or artists, people that you've worked with. Just give us a little bit. One of, we've talked about some of them, Brian Wilson, Glenn Campbell, a little bit. What about Phil Spector? What was it like working with Phil Spector?
1: Yeah, uh... Kind of of strange, in a way. Um, He seemed to be very young in in his mind, but he he had some great ideas for sounds, for hit records, and like that. He he was brilliant. But, you know, you have to remember that there's a fellow that taught him how to produce, and that's Lester Phil. They they were partners at first, you know, and then they broke up. And I'd say if there's anybody at fault, it was Phil, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. because Lester was a great guy. Lester actually ran the publishing company for for Motown later on, you know, and he had had a lot of hits of his own in the 50s. You know, Mm -hmm. wonderful man, great man. Uh, And I think he taught still how to produce but still still took it on out with using more microphones and daffles and, and uh, he 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 could take the sound and bounce them around see uh yeah. it went from two track to four track to eight track within about three or four years there you know wow. so that there were more tracks that he could do that with, so he had that stuff in mind. and he was very, very nice to my kids when when i bring bring my oldest daughter and my son down. Uh, he was very very nice but he had a habit of picking on 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 somebody too you know i don't gotcha. know what was the matter with him he he, he said he, he was seeing a shrink every day and so he he practiced some of his shrink talk on us and some of the guys that got upset so he he zeroed in on that guy that got upset and he'd ride him and ride him and ride him till, till he blew you know and yeah. You know, I, I looked over at Earl Palmer, and Earl said, "Yeah, he's crazy." You know, he just <laughs> said that. I said, "Yeah, he's a little weird." You know.
0: Well, they say they say it's a fine line between genius and and uh, insanity, and you know, just the whole wall of sound that he created. So, uh, yeah. but about Quincy he, Jones. he didn't
1: grow up. He didn't grow up, and I think with the with the. With his fame and with his drinking and whatever drugs he was taking and his guns, the guns started with the, with the with 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 the fear of of, of the, the Manson murder, See, everybody oh. started packing their guns on their legs then, and that that's wow. when Phil Spector got into this gun thing. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fear. A lot of hippies and and drug dealers on the streets of Hollywood in 1968 and 69. Yeah, and th- yeah. people were were getting mugged going to to work. You know, it wasn't safe anymore to do studio work in Hollywood.
0: Yeah. What would song. you say, what are some of the, the big songs you remember doing for Phil?
1: Uh, you've Lost That Love and Feeling. I'm playing guitar on that. That's all. Wow. Just, just dunka, 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 you know.
0: Oh, so then you, uh, you played on Unchained Melody too, right?
1: Yes, yes, I did the guitar work on that,
0: uh-huh, yeah, wow. guitar
1: work on that uh, and then bass later on on um, uh, some big hits on, on bass too with, with i mean with the with the righteous brothers See, you know and wow. and I, I played guitar on the um, i went di did da did on guitar nice. di, da, dee, doo, da. <laughs> zip, 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 yay i just the, I mean, the rhythm guitar. Now, that's Billy Strange on, on the solo, and he played his solo very loud on that, on that record, you know. It, you know, some of that stuff was a lot of fun, though. That was some fun stuff, and we, we didn't mind playing the same tune hour after hour with Phil, but he was very hard on the trumpet players. If you take those trumpet players, and make it play hour after hour like that, it blows their lips. And if they blow their lips, they can never play again, see? So he wasn't good that way. You know, the yeah. guys would say, tell him to stop, <laughs> take a break. We need a break, you know, that kind of thing. There was one date, and I was pregnant as heck too I, I was about nine months <laughs> pregnant playing that 12 string guitar and uh, bearing down on and 63 and, and so we were doing take after take and there was no break and I finally told him I said, Phil I gotta go pee I'm gonna pee <laughs> in my pants if you do carry this <laughs> so he, he just laughed and he called a break the guy said thank you Carol thank you, <laughs> you know, geez you know be strong with people like that that are a little sure, off Sure. What
0: about working with Quincy Jones? What was it like working with him?
1: Quincy was beautiful. He was a fellow player. You know, he he always made you feel like we're all in the same band together. You know, he yeah. was terrific to work for. He was so funny and, and cute, you know, and, and his cute wife would bring his lunch in and the guys oh. would go, yo! <laughs> you know, see, <laughs> see, he married some nice women, you know, some
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I was fortunate enough to to be, when he got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I was got to be in the audience there with my brother. So that was quite an experience to see oh, him get yeah, inducted. Yeah. What about Simon and Garfunkel? They're, it was two of my favorites. I know that you played on several songs with them. I Am a Rock. Did you play on Scarborough Fair? Uh, yes,
1: uh huh. I'm playing bass on that. Just bass, you know, uh huh. And something home, coming home, or
0: something. oh, home, homeward bound.
1: Yeah, homeward bound. I did that. That's one. a great baseline. I didn't know that was you. There's a few things that they did out here, and I always got to talking to Arch, you know, because he he, he loves to talk. You know, we we've had to watch it because uh, Silent, the guy that kept us working hard you know he wanted to make sure (laughs) to keep to to get all the attention so you had to be mindful of that but he he was great I mean he came up with some great songs and his ideas and everything was beautiful you know so so it was kind of fun it was kind of fun with them you know
0: I've had conversation with Art and I found him to be so nice and kind picture with
1: very smart guy, too, very smart, yeah,
0: very much, so Paul Simon I met as well, and I found him to be rather unengaging and they say don't meet your heroes, and I think there's a reason
1: he's all business that that's what yeah. he is, he's business, and if the business is creating music, don't you dare think of anything else you know <laughs> you're his you you know, you're you belong to him for for the three hours, yeah, but I, I don't find that anything bad. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: Well, and it's neat that you got to play with them because they really, obviously they were East Coast and so for them to come to the West Coast to record that was at Capitol, wasn't it? Was that at Capitol where you recorded with them? You
1: know, some I, I can't remember. Something tells me it was Columbia, but I could oh, be wrong about that. Oh, it was Columbia. Yes,
0: you're right. It was Columbia. Oh, right.
1: oh, oh okay. Because I yes. did Doris Day there. I did Doris. What a nice lady she was. I worked for her son too, for I mean for Terry. Melcher and, and his group, he had a rock and roll group too, and so we, we did a lot of things for Terry too.
0: I know that uh, you recorded lots of Frank Sinatra albums. And when I I think it was when I was talking with Sally Stevens, who I know you know very well. She would talk about how he would come in, he would do his two or three takes, and then he would leave. Was that your experience with him? He was pretty much about the business? And-
1: I don't think he ever said a word to me, But by the way. He, <laughs> he acted like he liked me, you know. He yeah. he had a nice, nice attitude and all that. Uh, yeah. And but but it was nice when we did that something stupid for Frank and Nancy. That oh, was yeah. really special because you heard it in the cams you, you heard it on the earphones about the, them talking in the booth you know that they would talk to each other in the booth it was so cute you know you just loved that and, and I think it was about two or three takes we were done and he was gone you know? <laughs>
0: well and that's yeah. you on these boots were made for walking right by Nancy right
1: yeah yeah but that's Chuck, Chuck Berghofer doing that do, 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 do. You know, that uh, was a throwaway song at the end of a record date. She hadn't had a hit yet, you know, so it was mm-hmm. a throwaway, and we didn't think much of it. Uh, we started playing it, and, uh, and so Lee Hazelwood in the booth told Chuck, well, do some some sliding notes down the bass. So we wow. started, started to roll the take and everything, and he goes, do, 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 do you know, real wide and yeah. stuff. And so, uh, Lee stopped the take. He said, no, no, make them short. Make them real short. And so that's when Chuck came up with that. And I'm joining him at the bottom, that bump, 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 the the balls, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But but we didn't expect anything about this. She, I mean, she was there singing it too. You know, it was the last date of the three hour, last tune of the three hour date. And it was such a smash. We, we were really shocked at that one, you know, because she could really sing, but she, she got kind of stuck in that, that pop rock dial, you know. So the-
0: that's cool. And when you hear, you know, some of the great bass players, like maybe John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin or Getty Lee from Rush, some of these people that are known as some of the icons of rock bass, when you hear them talk about how Carol Kay was an inspiration to them. What, what does that do for you as, as a oh, player and, and even as a person?
1: Well, that makes me feel good, of course, of course, because I admire those those guys, you know. Now, John Paul Jones, I heard, had gotten some of my books or something, too, 1969. Not that he needed them or anything, but that further made me feel good, you know, that he liked my books, too, yeah. But, yeah, the guy's playing rock and roll. And I talked to to somebody about uh, being on stage, but, you know, I didn't used to think much about the rock thing, you know, being on stage Mm -hmm. and all that. But, you know, I saw one time, I saw a rock world I said, man, they sure work hard on that stage mm-hmm. thing. That that That's another yeah. world completely different, you know. I've been on stage with a big band and, and featured in, in solos with a big band and everything. It's kind of mm-hmm. nice. But it was Light music you know sure, <laughs> it was dance sure. music and, and stuff like yeah. that back in the 50s yeah. it wasn't just stage rock where they had the fog on stage and they're playing real loud and they're <laughs> doing all kinds of faces and stuff that
0: that's an art in itself you know sure yeah. performance art yeah because you were in los angeles did you ever have as some of these bands that would come through you know, touring on albums, touring on songs that you had made. Did you ever get any any invitation? Hey, the Beach Boys are coming up. Carol, do you want to come play with us? Play a song with us? Did anything like that ever happen?
1: Okay. No, no, because they know that we're we're different in the studio work. We're we're geared for studio work. We're not geared for that stage rock stuff at all. Uh-uh, yeah. you know?
0: yeah, gotcha. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I did that one time. I subbed for the uh, bass player. Uh, uh, taking it to the streets. Who did that? Uh, and anyway, it was for I, I did some of the tunes uh, for a live engagement, you know, and it was a big, big nightclub, you know, and it was kind of fun because it was funky okay. music. See, it was it wasn't really rock; it was more funk and soul than anything. Mm-hmm. And th- that was fun, but that's the only time that that I ever did that. I, I don't think I did anything uh, rock with anybody, no.
0: And you've got such a massive body of work, you know, over 10,000 recording sessions. And yeah. just as we get close to the end of our time together, what are some of those baselines that, that you laid down, that you cut on tape, that you look back at and see them as the most enduring lines? And we talked about good vibration. Is that one of those that you look back and say, wow, that was Yeah, that that, was that's a special. good one.
1: The, the Help Me Rhonda and the Flute, John D, yeah. I like that one, you know, yeah, Uh did that feeling all right, Joe Cocker? I love oh. that. Uh, we had such a good time on that record.
0: That bass work is so good.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was. It just happened. It was just so. <laughs> and then, and then the way we were with. Barbara Streisand. There's mm. a story in back of that, you know, because they wanted me only to play the boop de boo, you know, make it simple because the strings were there too. It was the right, whole, right. whole orchestra that was there. We did about 33 straight takes with her and with her scene, wow. and it just didn't feel right. You know, it's boom, mm. boom, boom, you know, that boom. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it just didn't feel right. And I thought, oh, shit, you know, I'm going to add some notes here and there to <laughs> heck with it, you know. Yeah. So I started adding a few notes. Careful, you're careful with, especially with her. She's such a star singer. You have to be careful not to step on her lines at all, but to go right. a little bit here and there and leave some holes, too. You got to leave holes when you're playing bass, you know, uh, to have it breathe, you know, the tune has to breathe. So anyway, so, and that was the hit, Matt, and I never wow. got called back again. <laughs> oh but, such but it's a fine. beautiful it, song it, it, sure but it was a beautiful song and it just ends yeah. the drummer on that smiled at me and we he, he added a little bit more on drums too. It, the weight <laughs> of the band was so heavy that it needed a little more pump from the bass and the drums. See that that's yeah. what it needed.
0: Yeah, it needed some better foundation. It's
1: yeah. a big hit for her, too, yeah. So that that was fun. And the in crowd, the dopey Gray in crowd, I love that. And the Little Green Apples, uh, I like doing that. Uh, O.C. Smith and, the, mm-hmm. of course, the Booths, love stories with Andy Williams. I love, love that. Oh,
0: I love um, his voice. Wow.
1: Wichita Lineman and Galveston with Glenn Campbell, you know, I yeah. just love that. Spanish Eyes with Al Martino. Now, that's oh. where we just... Kept very simple, but mm-hmm. I thought, oh, my God, if it's this beautiful music. You know, it d- doesn't matter to me if I have to play simple. I'll play simple. It's you know, such beautiful music. And he could sing. Oh, my oh, God. Sure he Al-, Al Martino, Heartstopper, you know, and, uh, you know, Whipped Cream with Herb Alpert, I like that. What um, an a
0: album. And, and the thing is, you learned in all of the guys is you played – to serve the song. And I think a lot of musicians don't get that. They're looking for their place to shine. You were looking to how you could best serve the song, and it's a completely different approach.
1: You pinpointed the problem today. Everybody's in the ego. I've heard singers singing, and you know that's what they're thinking. Gee, I'm so good. I held that high note just Mm -hmm. perfect. You know, that that's what they're thinking. And it I, I makes me so angry. You've got to work with the song. You've got to work behind the singer. You've got to have your ears out the air. Stop thinking of yourself. It's not about you. It's about the song. You know, So you, you pinpointed exactly the problem that's been with the music for the last 30, 40 years.
0: I'm so curious about how back in this you know back in this time when you were doing all the session work what was that like for you this there were no text messages, no cell phones, no emails. Would you just get phone calls that and you would keep a schedule like, yeah, how, how would that work for you
1: well it and then in the studio work there were things called phone exchanges where they had called your girl where girls worked you know, like operators and they kept phones your girl blue phone in every studio so that the, the contractors would uh were told by, by the producers would get carol Kay, get earl palmer and the, the, you know they, they would book the bass and drums first you know sometimes without even a studio you know that that they'd make sure that they could get us and we we put the hold on for one day and if they didn't get a studio and get it burned up by that then we were free to take whoever's next you know because you 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 took them in the right order so you checked in with your girl you'd call them up or, or they would call you and say have Carol call, call us it's a record date important you know or yeah. it might, might be a double film call or it might be a commercial it's important so sometimes the film calls would book you a month in advance in, in, oh, and and wow. and that's how, how I lost a lot of my soul dates then, because it, they couldn't get me cuz I'd be booked already for film oh, you know okay. so yeah so that that's, that's how you called. back in the early days when it first got there, there was no your girl or, or, or Arlen's, you know. You didn't have those, those two exchanges. So that gotcha. they called you at home. Now, my mom, you, we never had a telephone until about 68, and then, then we got a phone, a first phone in my life, you know. <laughs> mom got the, got the thrill then when, when they say, well, have Carol and Carol works such and such. As, oh yes, she, she'll be there. You know, so she, she she enjoyed that. You know, because it That's was fun. being part of the business then. You know, yeah. so it, was, it was good. But but then the, the phone exchanges came in. You know, and
0: so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you a little bit on the spot here. So it's let's say it's 1965. Carol Kaye is a recording artist, and let's say you you need to choose a producer to produce your album who who would you pick from from those that you worked with back then
1: you know something there it, it it's it's impossible to, to pick a producer it, it really is because most of them were so good you know yeah. they were just absolutely great back then i couldn't name name somebody that that's that it be- i just couldn't name somebody it, it depended upon the Type of songs that you were doing, see, because sure. there were sure. some, some that were great for rock and roll, and mm-hmm. there were some that were great for soul, and then and then there's there's some that would be great for pop, you know, like Glen Campbell and people like that. So it was mm-hmm. very different.
0: Well, then I won't ask my next next question: Is who would you put in those positions as different players in that studio So I won't I won't ask that because I'd imagine that would be too tough.
1: It it all depends upon the artist and the and the songs and what the aim of the people who hired you, what they wanted to do with the songs, you know.
0: At some point, you know, you said you kind of had enough of the session work and you started to get into the music of film and television and got to work with the best of the best. I mean, John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith, Fanzini and Alma Bernstein, so many others. What prompted you to kind of move away from doing the session work?
1: 64, it was a year that I really got into the films, you know, and, and, but, but by 65, I did the Mission Impossible with Lalo and all that. Uh, there was a ton of work from 64, 65, 67, uh, 6, 67. By 68, I was getting tired of it, and by 69, when the murders happened and some bad things happened with other people, I was starting to feel depressed, and I didn't know why, and I started to see a shrink. I, I, I saw a couple shrinks, you know, one of whom fell asleep, and and, and I finally got up. I <laughs> wow. said, well, you were asleep, and he's, said, oh, oh, no, no, I wasn't, no, I wasn't. he woke up. I thought, you Son of a bitch, you know, lying <laughs> to me like that. So I, that didn't last long. And, and and then I saw a shrink, who, who was the shrink that Marlon Brando went to and some other people. And, and he's a nice guy, Harrison, yeah. this is me. And he issued uh, pills and stuff. You know, he, he he wanted to issue pills. And I thought, no, I don't think so. Then I went to see a woman, uh, shrink. He helped me the most. I say, I'd say about about two times I saw her and she said don't forget that men I was missing my second husband and I thought no I don't want to even date men I don't know what's the matter you know and she said just remember men were raised by women I thought oh that kind (laughs) of rings a bell yeah but you know what really helped happen was when I went to the AA meeting now I'm not a drinker but I, I went to AA meetings to get a sense of reality because yeah. to me by '68 and '69 nothing seemed real in the studios anymore. It was kind of like fantasy. The guys were play acting and cutting up and talking really weird things. You know, it, it wasn't funny anymore. It wasn't kind of weird things that they were talking about, and I just didn't feel good. I didn't feel good about recording by that time and the music yeah. was just was going down 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 the quality yeah. of the music was horrible by that time that's why when I got on the feeling all right date it felt so good yeah. we were all feeling wear and tear from working day and night with crappy music by that time, too, see? So (laughs) I I figured that I'm going to quit because I have a publishing company going, and it's going great, and I'm going to stop playing for uh, I don't like Motown, I don't like rock and roll anymore, so that's it, so I said no to those people, you know, and yeah, I was, yeah. was careful I'd take some Ray Charles dates or Mancini dates, yeah, he was sure wonderful. sure. Yeah. Uh, and I kept doing the film calls because it was beautiful music, you know, it's great music. Yeah. But you get tired of it after a while. You you, you really sure. do. It's just too many hours, too many days, and you, you're not mm-hmm. free. The only time you see the sun is when you have a day off, you know. It's not, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's not fun anymore. Your kids are growing up without you and stuff like that.
0: Well, and I look at the things that you did for television. I mean, it really is my childhood, Kojak. Wonder Woman, Love Boat, Alice, Brady Bunch, Get Smart, Hogan's Heroes, Mission Impossible, Lost in Space, Hawaii Five-O, <laughs> Adam's Family, Green Acres. The list is so extensive. How how great it is that you left such an indelible mark in pop culture and just those alone.
1: Well, well thank you for that. But it, it was just all work, but it was good work because of the composers of TV and, and movies were the best that you could get. I mean, they pay them so much money. They all had yachts and stuff like that, you know. But it was worth it for me because it, it, it kind of cleans your head from all the this digger music. You're, you're playing some <laughs> beautiful music, and it's just wonderful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and those shows were great, too. That, that was real entertainment and and you know what when you see them now you even get a kick out of them now because it, it was good entertainment then you
0: absolutely know?
1: right absolutely. You, you've seen them right you've seen them oh, ab- ab- that was my childhood
0: absolutely did you ever work with elvis i don't know if i came across any credits did you record with elvis okay.
1: yes yeah, yes i did and and it's in my book uh i did a few, few days from somewhere some big hits too there's uh Three, three or four big hits I played on. on it. And and it, and it was the dates that Billy Strange had arranged out here, you know. Oh, uh, okay. I, I saw him a couple times. It, the first time I saw him, he was very, very nice to work for. And mm-hmm. then the second time, he came in with about 20 guys, you know. And I wasn't feeling too good. I was uh, having some... Some kind of cold or something, some part mm-hmm. of the flu or something. I wasn't feeling good, and he, he came in like a movie star. It's like a movie <laughs> set. I said, "Oh, dude, I just don't think I can do this," you know. And, and yeah. he was re- real nice. I said, "You know, you're gonna have to get somebody else because I'm gonna fail here. I'm, I'm gonna pass out or something." But he was very concerned, very nice, mm-hmm. you know. And somebody walked me out to the car, and they got somebody else. So. Well, so it's just a couple of times that I saw him in person, you know. But he was very sweet, a very nice guy and like that. But I was – it was toward the end of the 60s, and I was so worn out, you know.
0: Yeah. My uh, my step-uncle wrote one of the songs I was saying, Make the World Go Away. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Hank Cochran yeah. was my my step uncle. He started out writing for Patsy Cline and stuff, and uh,
1: oh nice, He Made, it, uh-huh. made a
0: really nice career. Uh-huh. And uh, I know that Sally Stevens and Ron Hicklin both sang on the Comeback Special. Uh, were you part uh-huh. of that project as well? Because I know that was West Coast recording. No,
1: huh? I I, okay. I don't think so. No, because uh, gotcha. what what I did for him was about sixty seven, sixty eight uh, in oh, those years. You. Yeah, so gotcha. that that. That sounds like it's later, a little bit later. That right? was a
0: little bit later, yeah, it was.
1: He he's a good man and he really could sing, you know, he was a good singer too, and and he really did did a lot for 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 the entertainment business, you know. But it's sad how how he just wore himself out. I think he just wore out, you know.
0: I, I think you're absolutely right.
1: This business really gets to you after a while. You just can't keep going, can't keep it up. You you wanna keep it up because it really does pay off for you for your interest in your mind you know and and i'm sure it, it paid good money too but i don't think he did it for 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 the money i, I really did think that you know you, you expect to get good money anyway you know sure sure. but uh i, I think he was a, a, a true artist i do think so you
0: know oh absolutely yeah and it's interesting when i, when I had ron Hicklin on who i know you know very well yeah ron Hicklin. wow what a singer. Oh, I know that you knew Sally as well. They both have been guests on my podcast and both speak very, very highly of you. Oh, they're, they're great people. They are. Yeah. Ron had talked about how he really wasn't a huge Elvis fan until he sang on the comeback special. And he was in studio when Elvis came in and sang his parts. And he said that changed my whole perception of him. He was so great in the studio. Uh-huh. and He was this is, a pro. He was on stage like he was so into the music being moved by even dropping to his knees in the studio Uh as if he were on stage and because he felt the music so much said it changed his whole perception of all this and i thought that was pretty special
1: he felt his music yeah
0: and as we get close to wrapping up our time here as you look back on your unique life your unique experience in the industry what is that like for you at at this stage of, of your life
1: well, it, it doesn't mean a lot, yes. I, I have dreams sometimes, and I'm back playing with people and stuff like that, and I wake up, I say, oh, no, I've got to go back to sleep. I've got to have that dream. <laughs> the people that you work with that you love so much, I, I think that's why my marriages didn't work out too, uh, as well as the men that you choose back in those days, I love those men that I've worked with, and that's the feeling that I I have, you know, because it was just such a great feeling to work with those men who felt the music the way I did, too. You know, we all yeah. felt it together. And I think it's because we shared something that was really unreal. Uh it, It's something you can't even talk about much because it was so... uh it was the feeling of the music we felt it together and i think it was the feeling of us playing together was the thrill that 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 sold so well but we felt it in the room too just like you talk about elvis feeling that music we felt the music too we we couldn't get down on our knees and do all those (laughs) things like that but we felt it in our hearts you know and when you play music like that over and over with Certain men and everything. And they treated me as one of them too. I was one of them. See, it wasn't, I wasn't the chick in the band, you know, that kind of thing. Feeling that we all had to add together. And that's the greatest feeling in the world. It's just like, my God, you cannot compare music to anything else in the world. It, it's a certain love there in the music that you have for each other, and that's what I miss. And yeah. most of us are gone, you know, most of us are gone. But to me, they're still there, because I, I listen to some of that music sometimes. I'll, I'll put it up on Facebook, and I'll listen to some of it. So sometimes I play the tune all the way through. I, yeah, they're, they're still and there's Earl, and, you know, and they're alive again. I, I played a lot with Hampton Hawes, a jazz piano player. It's so mm-hmm. great. And when I play his stuff, I was like, oh, my God, Hampton, I love you. I miss you so much.
0: <laughs> well, thank you, Carol, for, for all of your time and your great stories. And I very, very much appreciate your time, and thank you for spending your afternoon with me.
1: Well, thank you. I liked your questions, and, and, and thanks, Brian. It was fun.
2: A quick postscript to our conversation, the Elvis songs that Carol played on were What I Say, A Little Less Conversation, and Suspicious Minds, some great ones. If you enjoyed this comprehensive interview with the one and only Carol Kay, please share it with your friends on your socials, give a kind rating or review. Be sure to follow or subscribe so that you know when new interviews are released with legends and legends to be. Thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to the next time we can walk a stretch of road together with another artist. So keep your bags packed so you're ready and join us on our next journey to the stage. And that is a wrap.